0: So before we get started, let's, uh, let's pray real quick because I promise you I need it. Heavenly Father, Lord, Father, we come before you this morning to hear from you, Lord, to hear from your word. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes to what you have to, to say to us this morning, Lord, that you would give us clarity and understanding. Yeah, Father, as we, as we look at your word today, we remember our pastor and our brother Jeff and his family, Lord, as they're on the road. We pray, Lord, that you would give them a time of relaxation and a refreshing, Lord, that you would care for them while they are away from us. And Father, that you would bring them safely back home. And we leave them in your hands, Father, in your care. So Father, we ask these things in your son Jesus' name, amen. So when we talked about um, what we believe, I think this morning that is one of the things that I want to, I want to touch on here. And, and I, I hope I don't muddy the water. I hope that I'm able to say it in a way that helps people to understand the point that I'm trying to make and why it's so important that we agree on what we believe. This morning I'll be in uh, Ephesians chapter two and we'll start in verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostilities. in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple on the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a lot of things in Scripture that over time tends to, uh, it seems like you can ask one person what something means and another person and you may get different opinions. And unfortunately, that's what they are, their opinions. And so, when we answer these questions, we need to go to, we need to go to the Lord's Word. And we need to look there and see, what did God say? And, you know, being, being humans, we're prone to misunderstandings, misrepresentations, and, you know, sin. Seems to be that's what we do. And this side of heaven, unfortunately, it's something we're all gonna battle with. But these misunderstandings have, uh, Caused a lot of, uh, rifts within the church. They've caused rifts, uh, amongst peoples, and it's been throughout history. All the way up to today. We're seeing it today ourselves. But what I, I I just, there's just one point though that I want to focus on this morning, and that's there in verse 15 when he says he made one people out of two. This misunderstanding has led uh, the church itself to do some horrific acts throughout history. Um, think in terms of the 15th century, the Spanish Inquisition. Now, this was under the Catholic Church. It was put into motion uh, by the monarchs Ferdinand II and Isabella I in 1478. And basically it was to ensure the Jewish allegiance to the Catholic Orthodoxy. And it was sanctioned uh, by the Pope Sixtus IV at the time. And basically they'd take a converso, which was a Jewish person that had either converted to Christianity or was living in and amongst Christians or at least claimed to uh, take on Christianity. And basically they said, you're either going to believe it our way Or we're we're just going to kill you. We're going to lop your head off or exile you out of the land or, you know, whatnot. Had to be their way. I just went on for quite a while. There's several instances of this in history of this happening. But not to pick too much on Catholics, Protestants aren't exactly innocent. You know, uh, our hero of the Reformation, Martin Luther, you know, he... In 1553, right, well, he is the one that put his the, the 95 thesis on the wall of the Wittenberg Castle there in Germany, challenging the Catholic Church and what they had done to the gospel. I and mean, he was trying to reclaim the gospel back, setting in motion the Reformation. Which is a great thing. I mean, we benefit from that today. But unfortunately, he, you know, just like thus normal people, had some things wrong as well. And in 1543, he wrote a treatise, 65,000-word treatise, called On the Jews and Their Lies. And in it, he argues that the Jewish synagogues and schools should be set on fire, their prayer books destroyed, rabbis forbidden to preach, homes burned, property and money confiscated. And he claimed that they should be shown no mercy or kindness, afforded no legal protection. And, quote, these poisonous and worms should be drafted into forced labor or expelled for all time. And he also advocated for their murder. When he said, we are at fault for not slaying them. That was, you know, back in the 1500s. In 2019, Reverend Brett Young of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship wrote a, uh, an article, a very interesting article, It was titled, How Churches That Don't Think They're Anti-Semitic Promote Anti-Semitism. And he even suggests that a line can be drawn directly from Luther to the Holocaust. Because it had so much, Luther's writings had so much influence in Germany. In 1936, the Baptist World Alliance met in Berlin under the banner of the swastika and received greetings from Hitler. And then they returned back to the United States to report on the wonderful things going on in Germany. Catholicism, look what the Catholics did. You know, you can read uh, John Cornwell's biography of Pius Twelfth, uh, titled, Hitler's Pope. So the, the Catholics did the same thing. So we're all guilty. We are all guilty of misunderstanding scripture, misusing it, and at times for horrendous purposes. But I think if we'd understood, if these people would understand that, you know, as believers, we're one people. It's not, you know, scripture says it's no longer Jew, it's no longer Gentile. It's one people. And this uh if they'd understand that, you go all the way back to Genesis 3 with the proto evangelic evangelum, when the first you know, mention of the gospel was given that God was going to make things right, was given to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall, he shall bruise his heel. The reason for this is they, are our, they were the original parents of everyone that ever would exist. So the gospel was given all the way back at the beginning. So there's not separate people. We're one people. We are believers in Christ. And we know that God in all of His sovereignty, He chose, he chose Israel. He chose Israel from among the nations. He could have chose any nation He wanted. In Psalm five four, He says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself and Israel as His own possession. And we also know that there is nothing special about Israel. There was no nothing that was great about them that God would say, Hey, these people are doing it right. I choose them. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, he says, It was not because you were more in number than any, than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This promise that was given to the fathers was originally given to Adam and Eve. This gospel, this good news that God was going to correct things. We know that you and I as believers, God in His sovereignty called each and every one of us to believe in Him. He called us out of many people. Ephesians 1, 4 through 4-5, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He could have chose, he could have left me in my sin. He could have left me just being happy in all the dumb things I used to do. But he said, no, no, that's not what I have in store for you. And we also know it's not because I'm a great person. Just like Israel, there is nothing special about me that God said, hey, I'm going to call you. In fact, there's all the reason to not call me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that one may boast. So you get in the picture here as we start to get into the the text. God gets to choose who he's going to choose to be his people. God is sovereign. God chose Israel as a nation from among nations. God chose you and I as believers from among millions and billions of people. For no special reason. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to earn it. But God... God himself gave me that gift of faith that I could believe. And as, as a Gentile, that's you and I, we're not Jews. We're not Jews by blood. So that makes you and I a Gentile. As Gentiles before Christ, we had no, we had no share in, the, in these promises of God because the Jewish people who were supposed to share it with the world kept it to themselves. And we, as Gentiles, we were the dogs, you know. So you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. If you were a Gentile, you were a dog. They didn't want nothing to do with you. They'd walk across the street and go around you rather than pass you on the sidewalk. And that's where we were prior to Christ. That's where the world was. So verse 11 of our text here says, Therefore, Remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were in this at that, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So circumcision was that physical mark on a person. It was mandated by God going all the way back to Abraham that this would be done. A male would be circumcised on his eighth day. And this would mark them as being part of God's people. It was an outward mark. Gentiles, of course, they didn't have this mark. And so, you know, they weren't part of God's people as far as the Jewish people were concerned. But we go forward into the New Testament. We come forward into Romans chapter two. And Paul talks about the circumcision of the flesh versus the circumcision of the heart. It's not about what I do, what my body's been marked on the outside. It's not what, that's not what it's about. What has happened to my heart? And who does that? Man circumcised the flesh of man. God circumcises the heart of man. That's not something I can do. That's not something you can do. Only God can do that to another individual. And so Paul goes on to talk about that not all that are of the seed of Abraham are Jews. What does that mean? that they're not Israel. Well, they're seed of Abraham, shouldn't they be part of the nation of Israel? Then again, it's the physical, being born of a physical man and woman or being born of the spirit. God puts the mark on us. God determines who his people are, who that person is going to be. Now, we saw that in the New Testament. We see that as Paul and Peter and John and James, all the apostles, they go out to preach. And all of a sudden, these Gentiles, the Spirit's being poured out upon them. And Paul comes back to Jerusalem and he meets with the with the apostles there, the elders of the church. They even get into an argument. And they're like, look, no, we can't force them to take this physical mark because God has already poured out the Spirit on them. Without the physical mark, there's more to this. It is internal. It is a mark in the heart. It's not what man does. And finally, they come to an agreement. And what do they do? They tell them, you know, abstain from uh, sexual impurity, abstain from uh, idol worship and things offered to I- uh, idols. And I think there was a couple other things there. Point being, follow God. Don't worry about that external mark. That's been placed upon you by man worry about the mark that God put on you first Peter 1 three through 6 says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you we now have a share in this inheritance. We now are part of God's people. God's people are those that have been marked on the inside. God's people are those whom he's called, who he has gifted the ability to believe. He's gifted them the faith to believe in him. Because Jesus, remember, Jesus to the Jews, that's a huge stumbling block. Yet scripture tells us he's the cornerstone. You know, many times we've talked about that, going back to Deuteronomy, cursed is he who's hung on a tree. The Jews can't see that Christ would be the Messiah. Then unless God has circumcised your heart and given you that faith to believe, you're never going to believe that. You're never going to believe The brutality, the the, the brutal death that Christ died. That three days after being in a tomb, you mean tell me he came back life again? And was seen by many, and then he magically ascended to heaven, and oh, by the way, he's coming back? There's only one way you're going to believe that. And God Himself has got to give you the ability. Without that, that is a fairy tale. That is a story. Sounds great. But how are you going to believe that if God hasn't given you the ability to? It's foolish to anyone that doesn't. Verses 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that He might create in himself, one new man in place of two, so making peace, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. If we're no longer Scripture says Jew and Gentile, but believers, then why would we have hostility towards each other? You know, uh, it's pointless. I mean, we're we're fellow believers. We're fellow. Heirs to the kingdom of God. We are sons and daughters of the God of, there's no, there's that, that hostility that used to be there between the Jew and the Gentile. God, God got separated. He got rid of that. In those moments when Jesus hung on the cross and he gave up the, he gave up his spirit, it says in that instant, the temple veil was torn. By the way, top to bottom. And it says, from that point on, all are able to come before God. At that time, the only people that could go into the temple were Jewish people. The only ones that could go any further, go up to the Holy of Holies, was a high priest, and he could only go in there once a year. And he might die. They would tie a rope around his ankle and put some bells on him. He'd go in there. If they quit hearing those bells, they'd tug on that rope, see if he tugged back. Being he tugged back, they knew God struck him dead and they'd pull his body out. You and I today have the privilege because of what Christ did that we can go before God, go into the throne room. And we can petition him ourselves through his son, Jesus. We don't need an earthly priest anymore. Christ is our high priest. It is through Christ that we approach the throne. Whether you are a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, this privilege is to all who believe. So God has taken these two separate peoples now, and he's made one. There's no division. And understanding this... I. In the near future, I've already been teaching through uh, starting in Revelation on Sunday morning Bible study. But in the near future, Jeff's going to start teaching through Revelation here on Sunday morning. And to understand a lot of this as we go into, the, into this is going to help understand a lot of the prophecy that we're going to get into. Because a lot of this can really be, I'm not even going to tell you I've got my head wrapped around everything yet. But we've got to get this right because in the church this separation of peoples has caused a lot of hostility it's caused a lot of uh, violence and barbaric behavior in the name of Christianity in uh, in Reverend Young's article that he, that he wrote he was talking about uh, more about the church and the anti-semitism and he said that uh Younger went on to say, he said that the church has not just been on the wrong side of history, but it's been on the wrong side of Christianity. How would you like that said about you? Wrong side of Christianity. To be anti-Semitic is to be antithetical, which means to be in direct opposition to Christianity. But throughout our Christian history, there's a lot of Christians that... that May not mean to, but they foster this belief, this sentiment towards the Jewish people. When you look at scripture and you read through the the New Testament, understand that these conflicts that were going on, these conflicts between you know between the Jews and the Christians were not just conflicts between Jews and Christians. Who were Christians at that time? They were mostly were Jews. Started off in Jerusalem, so this was a conflict within Judaism. It was an in-house fight. Later, the Gentiles are brought in, but this is originally the Gentiles or the Jews fighting against each other over this belief. Again, going back to the stumbling block of Christ, because to a Jew in the synagogue to preach Christ would be blasphemy and so this is where they're 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 butting head strong in here so but this was not just you know Jew against Christian this was Jew against Jew as well and that's where it started in this conflict you know as we go through we go through scripture we also realize that it split Judaism you know Judaism, Split them right down the right down the center. The believing Jew versus the non-believing Jew. And then as we're going to get into, you and I got added to it. Which is an awesome thing. Romans 9:6 says, but it is not through the word of, it is not though the word of God has failed. For all who are descended from Israel belongs to Israel. This goes back to the promise. Those of the promise. As we saw in Romans two, Israel, true Israel, are those that have been circumcised by the heart, meaning those that God Himself has marked. And we, as believers, we're not separate from Israel. We're not separate at all, because what else does Scripture say? It says we were grafted, grafted in to Israel. Uses that agriculture terms. Because at that time, they were a Gregarian society. In Romans eleven twenty three it says, Even they, if the Gentiles, even they, I put in the Gentiles, us, do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in. So you think in terms of, you know, people take an apple tree, They'll put a little notch in there. they'll grab a limb off of another type of apple tree, put it. I think I've seen them do it with pears and apples and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. I'd, I'd kill it, but it's kind of a neat thing to see happen. That's what God's done with you and I. He has grafted us into the vine. So if I'm going to stick my nose up at Israel, what am I doing? I'm sticking my nose up., you know who? the vine. Who was Jesus? Jesus was a Jew. I love how Western art paints him as being an Anglo-Saxon white boy. He wasn't. He, he was olive-skinned. I think it's kind of interesting that you know, there's a little arrogance on our part. But he also warns us. And he says, this, uh, this freedom that we have, this grafting in, this adoption that we have into Israel, Paul tells us, don't get, don't get cocky about that. It is through the Jews' unbelief that the gospel has been given to you. It was their unbelief that caused the gospel to be spread. You think about the church. When does the church grow its, grow the most? When does it become the most strongest? It's in persecution. And at that time, they were persecuting the church heavy, hot and heavy. Paul, what was Paul originally doing when he was going down the road to Damascus? He had a letter in his hand issued by the high priest that he was allowed to arrest anybody that was of the way, confiscate their property, and even have them put to death until he met Jesus on that road. Paul was a Jew. And he became a Christian. He became a called-out believer of God's. Because Christ met him where he was and showed him he was wrong. Christ did that to me. Anybody in here that's a believer, Christ did that to you. He met you where you were at that moment. And God gave you a free gift of faith that allowed you to believe and gave you that first little bit of understanding that put you on the road to where you are now. It was nothing you did, nothing I did. In fact, I was just like Paul going down the wrong road. Until Paul says in Romans, if you and I, a wild branch, can easily be grafted into the vine, how much easier could a natural branch that's been removed be put back? So think in terms of a Jewish person. You'll hear a lot of people talk about that even today. There is nothing neater to watch than an actual Jewish person come to faith because they're on fire. And it's, I don't know, there's something about a Jewish person when God opens their eyes that it it, it, it seems like it exceeds (laughs) the rest of us. It is something to watch. So if you and I can be grafted in, think about how easy it would be for one that's been moved away to be brought back in. And so Paul says, don't get cocky about your salvation and about the fact that the gospel has been extended to us. In verse 17, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near." For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a continued work that God is doing. Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. God is building the church on that cornerstone. And that building blocks are Jews and Gentiles. True Israel. True believers. Those that have been circumcised by the heart. That's what's building the temple of God, or God is building the temple with, is with us. To those that, that don't believe, you know, that this sounds pretty crazy. This sound, you know, like, again, that's, that, that cornerstone that God has used, Jesus, that is the stumbling block to the nation of Israel. They just don't see it. They have, for too long, they were caught up in their own, uh, piety, God chose us. And so they could do whatever they wanted. And they were God's people. That's the way they looked at it. And the thing, the point here is too, is whether you are a Jew or you're a Gentile, if God hasn't placed the call on you, you're never going to believe this. You're never going to turn to it. You're never going to turn to Him. It doesn't matter if I was a blood-born Jewish person. If God had not called me, if God had not given me that first little inkling of faith, I wouldn't be standing here today because I wouldn't believe a word of this. It is with without that faith that God gives us, we're not we're not going to believe. Romans eleven twenty three says even they or I'm sorry I <laughs> jumped jumped out of the wrong spot there. Romans three nine. I have got myself lost in my notes, folks. Basically, all no one turns to God without Him, without being called. Romans 3, 9 through 11 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. And it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Your birth, your physical birth, where you were born at, what ethnic race you were born into means nothing. Did God call you? If you're sitting here this morning and you believe what's written in this book, God called you. It has nothing to do with your birth. It is, again, it's strictly because God has gifted, gifted us that faith to believe. Romans 10 and 11 through 12 says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Remember, God makes no difference. He has no prejudices. He doesn't take the rich over the poor or the poor over the rich. And in God's kingdom, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's true Israel. There is There is the people of the promise. There is those whom he has called. And there is not two different ends for Jew. One for Jew, one for Gentile. There's it's as believers, there's one. There's no separation. So you as I as a Gentile, we're not gonna get to heaven and God's not gonna go, okay, this is your little piece, this is your little part over here, and then Jewish folks over here is your little part, and y'all have your own little piece of heaven. That's not what's gonna happen. We're gonna be there as one big group, one big family celebrating our savior, celebrating the fact that we're with our God, the way it's supposed to be. And when we look back at Genesis and we see where that first glimpse of that gospel was given in Genesis three, it shows us this was God's plan from the very beginning I just made the comment last week that there was no plan B. There was the plan. And the plan is being played out before our eyes. The plan is up for you and I to learn about, to understand, and spend our lives here doing our best to understand it. Are we going to get it right, this side of heaven? We're going to get some things right but we're not going to get it all right. You and I, we're going to see things, and we're going to have some differences of opinions. And we need to understand that that is difference of opinion. And when I say that, I'm not talking about anything that salvation is based on. Because the rest is, you know, it's nice to get it right, but if if your salvation is not hinging on it, then we can disagree a little bit. But we can't disagree on the facts that salvation hangs on. And salvation is Jesus Christ. And when we, we go to the table, you know what do, what do we do when we when we take the elements? He says, you know, the cup. This is my blood, which is a new covenant. So when Jesus gave His self as a sacrifice for us. It opened that door for you and I to come in, for you and I to share in this inheritance. That now what had been hidden from us was now exposed. And it was open for all who would believe. And God says, all who will believe will not be put to shame. And I, I think that this is important today because as we look around us, you know, I don't have a magic eight ball that tells me exactly when everything's going to happen, but I see the world right now and it's getting turned upside down. Right is right. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Those things that were once talked about in secret are brought out in the open and they're celebrated. We're seeing a rise in anti-Semitic behavior in places that I never thought I'd see it at. We're seeing it, you know, in some churches. That shouldn't be. None of this things that we're seeing today should be seen in a church. And as we see this, we can look at Scripture and we know that God told us These things are going to happen. And when we look at Scripture, God says, I tell you these things ahead of time so that you will believe. So when they happen, you can look back and you can say, Oh, that's right. He told me. He told me that's going to happen. And what does he say? He says, Don't be afraid of it. It's interesting. He says, Don't be afraid of it, though they might kill you. You know, people today, what's the big, the big catchphrase today is uh, eugenics. Oh, they're trying to depopulate the world and all that. It dawned on me the other day because I, I, I hate to tell you this, folks. I, I ignore all that stuff. I don't pay any attention to it. And it dawned on me because I don't really care. It doesn't bother me because if I'm one of the ones they get rid of, guess where I'm going? You know, I, uh, that's not a bad thought. And so God said, He said, continue, continue on, continue doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. These things have to happen. And we can look around today, and like I said, I don't have Magic Eight ball, but boy, I tell you, my gut sure tells me <laughs> Jesus is definitely coming back. And that returns getting 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 close. You know it sure seems like it i don't think you know in our life my parents life and my grandparents life short of wars i don't believe they've ever saw anything like this i don't think in the last few hundred years that we've ever seen the morality of the world turn upside down and so when we look at this we understand that we are as believers we are one people we will share in that inheritance of Christ Jesus and our Heavenly Father. And it's coming soon. It's, it's, it's right around the corner. You know, does that mean tomorrow or does it mean 10 years from now or 100 years from now? I don't know, but it sure feels like it's coming soon. And so as we start to dissect our way through Revelation, uh, as Jeff starts to teach it, be ready to be challenged with some things that maybe you believe. I, I've been challenged already a few times. Be ready to be challenged and your thoughts that you have, does the Bible say that? Or did you get it somewhere else? The Bible says we're one pe- we are one people, not two. That's something that, uh, for years I had a misunderstanding of. So I think we're going to have an interesting time in this upcoming study. I look forward to it. I, 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 am having fun myself studying through this right now. Um, Sunday mornings, the folks that come get a little, uh, a little glimpse of, uh, where things are going, um. But it's a great learning experience, and I think that we need to be prepared for this. I think that not enough churches or pastors today teach in time scriptures. I think that they are doing their congregations uh, wrong by not doing so because they don't believe they're preparing their people. Because there are a lot of people today that are sitting in congregations that think they're saved. And they're not. And if we are not preparing them, then we are ushering them to hell. So with that, I just ask that you think about, ask yourself, reflect on your, on your inner self on, what do I believe? What do I believe about scripture? Where did I get it? Where, where, did, where did my belief come from? my thoughts that I have. And I would challenge you to take those thoughts, dive into the Bible, and see if you can back those thoughts up. But don't be afraid to find out you're wrong. Don't be afraid to find out, oh, I got that one wrong. Because that's okay. That's, That's why God gave us His Word. God gave us His Word for us to study and for us to learn. And so it's okay. It's okay as long as we are open to correction. It's okay to do that. So as we get ready here, we'll uh, come to the Lord's table. And I just uh, ask that you just reflect on your on yourself. What are my thoughts? What are my thoughts on on, on the Lord? What are my thoughts on His people? Where where do I fit? Where do they fit?